This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brendan Nunez, and I am here again with Rich. How you doing today, man? I'm doing good. I'm probably doing better than you are right now, I would guess. Tough, tough loss. Yeah, so for what Rich is talking about, I have exposed myself on here before for being a Celtics fan, and game four just ended. I cannot believe that the Celtics lost both of the games in the Garden. It was a terrible performance from Kyrie, who's supposed to be the leader of this team, and every time in the third quarter, the Celtics just disappear. There's no effort. It is so frustrating to watch. The Bucks ran away with it with Bledsoe, Middleton, and Giannis all on the bench. Yeah, well, don't worry so much about Kyrie. He is 100% leaving that city this summer. So you want to just, just forget about him. Put him out of your mind. <laughs> you know, I'm not on 100% with you, but... There's a good chance. I'll give you, you know, I really do think there's a good chance a lot more than I thought previously, but I also wouldn't be blown away if he was back like it sounds like you would be. Um, I mean, maybe I'm overstating it to sort of uh, get at you right now, <laughs> but I mean, no, I wouldn't be blown away. But if I if I if you laid me any sort of odds on that, I'd happily bet on him leaving. And do you have a prediction on where he would go? The New York Knickerbockers, please. Okay. Is that with Kevin Durant? Um, I'm not. I'm not as sold on that. I'm not. I mean, I think that's a, a legitimate possibility. I do think that he's out of Boston. I think the Knicks are probably the best bet. I think KD. I don't know. I'm maybe like forty percent. They're like a third, maybe thirty-three percent that KD would leave. And so, you know, if I'm, like, stacking those odds, I'm not, like, convinced they're both going to the Knicks. But um, it's a pretty good chance. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd, probably, I'd probably lay some money on that. Give me the right odds. I'll lay some money on that. Yeah, I wouldn't really blame you. Initially, I would say the Nets because he's from New Jersey. But I don't think – I mean, I think D'Lo is their point guard. I think that they're locking him up this offseason. So – if I had to guess it with him leaving, it would be the Knicks. And to be honest, I wouldn't completely rule out him teaming up with LeBron again. Right. I mean, man, that would be crazy. But I, I could absolutely see it as well. The money is there. Kyrie made a contrite phone call to LeBron earlier this year. Um, I, you know, they've won a ring before. I, I don't see... Yeah, I mean, I don't see it as being too crazy. That is the fastest way to become the most hated man in Boston. And then you trade all the young guys for AD still, and then you got Kyrie, AD, and LeBron in LA. Yeah. Or the Celtics keep Kyrie, and then you trade Tatum and four first-round picks for AD, and then you're looking okay. Man, we are pretty we are pretty deep into this is Celtics pulse all of a sudden, <laughs> but um no, but seriously, this does interest me. 
You would you make that trade? I mean, so what's the best? What's the best trade offer you would give? And again, so apologies to Kings fans. I promise we will get around to the Kings in just one second. But this is pertinent. What's the best offer that you would make if you are the Celtics to get AD? It would be Tatum being the main piece of it, and then I mean. To make salaries work, I've seen Horford thrown in there, but there's no way I want Horford to walk. And the other one that's on that kind of level is Smart, but that's Horford and Smart are like the two leaders of the Celtics for me. So I don't exactly know how I'm making salaries work yet, but it revolves around Tatum, and then the Celtics have four first-round picks this year. Four kind of poor first-round picks, though. Yeah, so they have the Clippers unprotected. They have, or I'm sorry, they have the Clippers pick since the Clippers made the playoffs. They have the Sacramento pick. And actually, they have a chance at the Grizzlies pick. It is top eight protected. And right now, they're sitting at the eighth odds. And then they have their own pick. So you're right. They're not great picks, but they are first-round picks. And four of them... You know, that in that Memphis pick doesn't convey this year. The next year, it's only top five protected. I think the Celtics are in trouble here uh, for a few years. Because I, I don't, I do, I really do see Kyrie leaving. I really do. I think that if you trade away Tatum, I mean, I get that AD is a monster and he could come in and really change things. But if they're not keeping Kyrie and adding AD, I just, I think that they're in trouble. I mean, the East is obviously extremely competitive. It's no longer like the old Eastern Conference. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll uh, uh, we'll see. We'll see about that. And then yeah, like the 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 poor luck with the picks. I guess you call it that luck. But yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know if if a I mean, can you imagine? Well, okay. So if the Kings pick hits. I mean, if it goes number one, it goes to Philly also, so they don't even yeah. have that. It, the Kings pick is actually like really crazy. I, I don't even really want to consider it moving up because it just feels so implausible that the Kings pick would move up three years in a row. <laughs> and then it would have to what if they what if the Kings pick went to two and then that bumps the Grizzlies down to the ninth pick and that goes to Boston. Then the, the, then the Celtics get two and nine Yeah, and keep Kyrie. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't want, I'm not like counting them out or anything, but this is not the Eastern conference of old. It is fierce. Uh, there's fierce competition in that conference, but let's move on to the real issue at hand, which is pink and white or gray and teal. Oh God. Okay. So it's gray and teal when I first look at it, but I can train myself to see pink and white. I only can see pink and white. I I have I have been training and training and training. I'm like Arya <laughs> with the faceless men trying to convince myself that this thing is gray and teal. I can't see it at all. I am really worried about how my brain is functioning cuz I feel like I'm in the minority. But it I immediately think you are, yeah. I, I saw someone yeah. say that it's initially gray and teal, and then if they turn their phone sideways and close one eye, that it's pink and white, and it actually worked. So someone maybe was saying, close yeah. one eye and turn so, it sideways and tell me if it's gray and teal. Is it a resolution thing? Because people are saying, you know, it depends on like the brightness of your phone and the contrast of your the the lighting of your phone. All right, I'm going to I'm going to try it here. I'm going to try it here. Maybe. And I've also it, it to me it looks like they added a greenish tint tint to it. Like the hand they looks for a little sure green. Did. Yeah. They doctored this thing. Okay, I'm squinting. <laughs> no, I I mean I can get it to where it's gray and white. But the white to me is like undeniably white. I'm not Ooh. seeing a single bit of green even though I can see that it's like been doctored to be a greener white i don't know that doesn't make any sense and by the way in case anyone hasn't seen the picture this is a van's shoe that clearly originally to me was pink and white but like we said they altered it so now it has like this gray and teal effect to it it's interesting you say that the white is the hard part to see or the heart the part that won't change for you because that is what is more difficult for me to get to change like i 
instantly see the teal. It's like a white balance thing. That I don't know even what that term means, but people that seem more knowledgeable <laughs> than me are saying it's like your perception of, of white balance. I, yeah. I don't know. This To me, I mean, this is a pink and white shoe. And honestly, off topic here, I'm into this shoe. Oh, me too. I but but you're into like a gray and teal shoe. What do you mean into it? Like what I'd wear? Are, yeah, I'm like I'm seeing this pink and I'm like, oh. damn, I'm into like pink right now. No, I would no. like. I'm you're... into the pink shoe. I I I, <laughs> I see the gray and teal, but I'm not gonna wear the gray and teal. I'm wearing it because I know that it's actually pink. Okay. Okay. So okay, but you're <laughs> with me that like pink is. Pink is a really, really dope color. I, I'm like, like, especially that like really pale baby pink. Oh yeah, I'm trying to get, get for this. Uh, I'm getting married in Mexico uh, in a month, and I'm trying to like, I've been stocking up on uh, like beach clothes, and I'm hitting the pinks. I'm hitting the pinks hard. There you go. Yeah, I'm a Vans guy too, so it does it for me. Absolutely. You know, I like I love you, De'Aaron Fox, but. I'm taking these pink and white vans over your new swipers. Man, that bummed me out. I don't know. I I think that uh, Jason Jones had a point that the asynchronicity is is kind of cool, but it's too asynchronous for me. It's like it's too it's too much. Uh, I don't know, and, and I don't like the lettering in the back, like the font, the swiper. Yeah. I thought the soles of them were kind of cool. Not that you're ever going to see them, and I don't understand, but, you know, it's kind of yeah. cool. I thought it was funny how Jason Jones was saying that he could never wear them around Fox or he'd get a terrible time for it. I was, I just <laughs> feel like if I was around Fox, that would be my reason to wear them. Just for the for the dap? Yeah. Yeah. Which <laughs> Which one do you prefer? I'm picking the left one. The red and the white looks pretty clean. I'm with you there. Yeah, and it looks like the swoosh on the right one with the orange and blue also has like a pink is swish. Is it pink or is it? Well, see now. Oh yeah, it is. It's very pink. You're right. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. What's the Harrison Barnes shoe? It's definitely like a basic like Air Force One. I'm wrong about this. He's an Adidas guy. Okay. He doesn't have any sort of shoe deal, does he? Or, or I mean, any sort of signature. Shoe deal. No signatures, no. But he's always wearing Adidas. Okay. That's cool. And then Marvin's a, a Puma guy, which... Yeah, which I kind of dig. They're, like, really going for the... They're trying to buy up the whole the whole youth market, the whole youth movement yeah. now. And I don't know. And I, plus I, DeMarcus I Cousins and Danny Green. God. Oh, well, and Rudy Gay. I, well, hey, I mean, what about the New Balances? Uh, You know, it's very kawaii. It is extremely kawaii. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Adidas is, yeah, no, I like Adidas. The three stripes, it's classic. I could see Barnes rocking the shell toe in his uh, just everyday, day-to-day life. But yeah. yeah, yeah, on the court, I mean, let's talk about this guy. Let's talk about him. He, so I think this, so this is going to be our small forward episode as you can tell from all the discussion of the <laughs> basketball analytics we've got so far. Um, and Barnes, he's kind of a name that, you know, you see, you, you even threw out their basic shoes, just the, the plain black, the plain white, poss- you know, those possibilities for shoes. Um, he's kind of an unassuming guy, not a big talker, not a flashy player, but I... And willing to say that of all the players that we've covered so far, we covered all the big men, uh, and now we're moving into the small forwards. I think that Harrison Barnes is the best player that we've talked about so far. I think that's fair. And I mean, the guys that come close are just too young, being Bagley and Giles on a lesser level. But Barnes is, yeah, he's definitely the best. I mean, he's a championship player, even though, I mean, he definitely... Crap the bet a little bit in some of those finals for the Warriors, but he's been there. He has the experience and he just does what you want a small forward to do. He's a great three and D guy. He's a really good veteran presence. I remember actually going to a Golden State game. Maybe it was his second, third year and 
then after the game, he stayed and came out onto the floor and just talked with a bunch of the crowd. And a lot of it was religious stuff. He's a really religious guy, but he just seems very down to earth. He's a personable guy. I've heard that he's great in the locker rooms. You know, Dallas didn't love him because of the contract he was on. But as a personality, everyone in the locker room was great friends with Barnes. He got traded to Sacramento February 6th of this year, was in the middle of a game, and from what I heard, he knew that that was going to happen and still wanted to go out, play that game, be on the floor with his teammates for that last game. He just seems like a class act, like someone you'd love to have as part of your organization. Yeah, I I think that you're speaking to some humility here, and I think that Barnes is a very humble guy. I didn't know that about the uh, how religious he is. Um, it adds up, and I mean, in some ways, and t- you know, this is a pretty wild extrapolation, but I feel like in some ways, he is such a humble, such a humble guy that being asked to be the number one option in Dallas kind of just didn't suit his whole vibe and personality, and like it may not even even have been a skills issue as much or at least part of it may may have been like a fit issue for who he is as a person in some ways i, I know as a player there's limitations there but it also just doesn't feel like he's the kind of guy who i don't know you've talked about maybe he doesn't have the the dog in him that austin rivers has for example uh <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Like he, yeah. I don't know that he has that like sort of killer edge that some, you know, to be frank, not humble players have. Yeah, I mean, there's positives and negatives to not necessarily a level head because I would qualify that as a good quality to have. But I, I get what you're saying that there's not that like fierce, almost competitiveness is what it feels like, which we don't know, obviously. But it does seem like he's just not, he doesn't have that fire to be a number one guy. And to be fair, Dallas was just hoping that this guy would be able to come to be able to become that after being really young and a good contributor on that crazy good 73 and nine Golden State team, thinking that, you know, maybe he wasn't able to unlock his full potential there obviously was still super young. He's only 26 right now, but it was just proven he wasn't number one option. And yeah, I mean, his usage rate while he was in Dallas was just on insane levels. He was in the 90th percentile for every year that he was there, except the beginning of this year, he was in the 86th. And then he comes to Sacramento and he's all of a sudden in the 47th. And any any time in Golden State, he wasn't above 55. So it was just, it felt like they were asking him to do something that he just isn't made to do as a player. Yeah, yeah. I, I maybe it's ego. You know, I think I think that ego is there's a version of ego that we don't like, and that it's like seen, seen as cockiness or something. But there's also a version of ego that. Um, you know, warriors, uh, and I, well, I don't mean that literally the Golden State Warriors, but like, I'm, you know, warrior people, you know, in fighting for their lives, you kind of need an ego. It's like a survival mechanism, um, and it is a competitiveness thing. But Barnes is a is a professional. He comes out, he does his job, and he does it well. But I, I don't know that he's necessarily a leader, or I don't know that he has the ego to just be like, I'm taking this game over. Uh, um, you know, this is my game. I'm putting my mark on it and, and no one's going to touch me. Yeah. To me, I feel like there's potential of a locker room leader, but it's not on the floor. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I absolutely agree. And I think that Dallas made a big ask in a pretty big gamble thinking that they're going to take a guy who was nowhere close to being the primary player for the Warriors and say he's going to be our primary guy. And I don't think it, you know, obviously didn't pay off for them in that respect. I think they got a good player, uh, but the 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 role that they wanted him to take on, obviously, it didn't work out. It didn't work out for them, and their loss is our gain, as far as I'm concerned. 
Yeah, agreed. And part of him being that quote unquote number one option in Dallas led to him trying to create his own shots a lot. And that meant taking a lot of mid range looks that were not falling at great percentages. But as long as he doesn't bring that with him, which it didn't look like he did too much because they don't need him to do that here in Sacramento. He's a very capable shooter. I just don't think that he's a shot creator in that way. I think that he's capable to do it at times, but it's not someone where, you know, you need a bucket, you're going to Harrison Barnes. I mean, he shot 40% from deep. His three-point shooting was absolutely amazing. And a a crazy stat that I found was when he was in Sacramento, he shot 47% from the corners. Like He's a knockdown three-point shooter. He's just not going to be a shot creator. And I think that it fits perfectly with what we needed in Sacramento, filling that small forward hole. Right, exactly. Yeah, his field goal percentage jumped up from about 40 to 45 uh, when he made the transition to the Kings. Three-point percentage up. Yeah, I mean, he's just not the guy that you can go to for iso ball. And that's what he was doing a lot in Dallas. And that's not what he was doing in Sacramento. He's put, he's uh, spotting up a lot. And that's, I mean, you know, that's, there is a three, you mentioned the three and D at the top of the, of the uh, breakdown. And absolutely like that's what the Kings needed desperately, desperately needed a three and D a six, eight, three and D guy. Uh, they absolutely got it in Barnes. They had to give up something to get Barnes, but it didn't feel like much to me. I mean, no. you know, do, do we want to go into into that trade a little bit here? Yeah, I mean, I guess just briefly touching on it. Like, so starting with Zach Randolph, I mean, Jason Jones talked about this a little bit, but he's he's a leader, but there's a difference between being on the floor. You're teammates will have a different level of respect for you and your voice holds more weight if you are out there performing what you're preaching. And Zach Randolph wasn't able to do that. I mean, we saw him getting minutes last year that was unideal and he didn't even suit up for the Kings this year. And then Justin Jackson has promised to him, but an older guy playing a few years in college and just was extremely inconsistent. That was the word I used for him the other day when you threw my name at him. Right. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Well, Randolph, I mean, he may have been a great guy, and I, I can see him being loved and enjoyed around the locker room, but... From what I can tell, he wasn't even around the locker room. Um, you know, I, Chris Vernon uh, of The Ringer uh, and uh, who covers the Grizzlies, the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, he's been on the record many times saying, no, no, he, he lived in Memphis this year. <laughs> like he just he just wasn't in Sacramento. And there was a point in the season where I was trying to keep track of how many times have I seen Zach Randolph on the sidelines this year? And I was every, you know, I wasn't keeping uh, eagle eye on it, but every time that I would remember that, remember, remember to look for Zach Randolph, I couldn't find him. Um, There's a few times, you know, there's a few times throughout the season that we saw him, but uh, he he was not like a presence on the bench to be sure. So I think that he spent a big chunk of this season not even with the team, and I think that was kind of a mutual thing where uh, he didn't want to be there if he wasn't getting playing time and the Kings kind of did him that favor and said, all right, you, you can be here when you want and you don't have to be here when you don't want. Yeah. And it's funny because Bagley kind of seemed like someone that could take a lot from Randolph being a 
little bit of a low post player, even though Bagley's a little bit different than Randolph and not as much of a bang it down low, but a left-handed guy that has very crafty finishes, good shooting and things like that. So it felt like he'd be able to take something from him, but didn't really get that opportunity. And really what it comes down to is we swapped two guys that were not contributing much. Randolph, not at all. Jackson was filling minutes that we needed to give to a small forward, but I personally was not very happy with his contributions. There was probably about a week, maybe two week period where he was on fire from three and I liked his effort for the most part, but it was just very streaky. And now Barnes is consistent. I'm very happy giving him that starting three spot. Yeah, streaky is absolutely right. Uh, Jackson, he would he would go months shooting like 20% from three. Yeah. And then he would light it up for a week. Kind of like that uh, Jeff Green analogy you used last week. But, um, you know... I was pretty tired of what he was bringing to the table, and the Kings were also dead set on playing him at the four, which was weird. I don't even know. Like, We can get into this small forward versus power forward debate here with Barnes. We have put him in the small forward position for the purpose of our recaps. I feel very strongly that he's a small forward. Dallas obviously did play him that power forward the majority of the time. Um, yeah, I mean, let's get into that. I mean, wh- what do you see as his, as Barnes's ideal position? To me, it's pretty clearly the the small forward. I, I don't think that he necessarily defends the power forward like I would want, and doesn't rebound that way. To me, he can move his feet laterally and guard the perimeter like I want from a three and have his ball, have the ball in his hands a little bit more often. I I would much rather have him at the three and then another guy a little bit bigger than him as the four as well. If we're talking the Kings, I mean, Bagley haven't sitting at the four and yeah. So for me, it is clearly that I want Barnes at the three. And he can play the four. I'm good with him getting minutes there, but the majority of his playing time should be at the three, in my opinion. Absolutely. I'm with it. I think that Barnes is your everyday starting three, uh, and he's your small ball four, and it fits perfectly to me. Um, I've seen people in the Sacramento, Sacramento media calling Barnes a four, saying that he is clearly a four, there's one guy out there in particular who I will not name check right now, but he if you, if you're on uh, if you're involved in King's Twitter and probably King's uh, Reddit as well, you know who I'm talking about. He is a very goofy dude, uh, <laughs> uh, and he insists that Barnes is obviously a four. And if you don't see that, and you don't understand basketball, and any professional would understand it, but uh yeah no he's 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 a three he's a great he's he's honestly a pretty prototypical three for today's game which means that he can play the four uh when you need him to when you want to go small uh, i think he's a fantastic defender fantastic I, I think there's a legitimate case you can make for him being the best defensive player on the kings uh it, you know in that period of time that he was on the kings this year uh fox really came around towards the end of the season as well so you know, it's up for debate, debate, but uh, I think he's a fantastic guarder of, of opposing threes. He's not, you know, not an elite defender, but uh, absolutely passable, absolutely passable defending opposing threes. He's not going to shut down Kawhi, but, you know, I mean, few are right. So <laughs> I don't know. The rebounding says a lot to me as well. Uh, very weak re- rebounder. I will say that about Harrison Barnes. If there is a uh, part of his game that I will criticize, it is the rebounding. He is certainly not equipped to play the four next to a guy like Bagley right now because Bagley's not there yet with his own rebounding. That would be a very weak uh, front court in terms of, of cleaning the glass, in terms of getting any boards, and so not ready for that. But as a three, perfectly fine to have him there. Got the length, got the size. Um, and then you pair him with, 
you know, any any passable front court duo, and you got a team that can can probably handle themselves uh, rebounding. And I want to point out this mid-range thing again, because this was the main criticism of him, that he was a little bit of a ball stopper. But like I said, I mean, that was just Dallas asking him to be a number one option. But these mid-range shots, he shot during his time in Sacramento, I mean, not a crazy sample size, 28 games. He shot 25% on long mid-ranges. So anything that's not a three, but further than the free free throw distance, 14 feet plus, only 25%. And then this year in Dallas, all of his mid-range looks are 28%. And normally he's a bit better than that, but there's just no reason, and especially in today's NBA, for him to be taking those looks. I mean, he can finish at the rim extremely well, 60 plus percent there, and he's a great, great three-point shooter, consistently at 40 plus there. So to me, I just really need him to cut out those mid-range shots. But like you said, I mean, we were looking for a small forward and we went and got Barnes. Like he, it's very clear that's what he should be. And part of the issue with Jaeger was that, you know, you're asking for a small forward and then we get it for you or the Kings get that for Jaeger and then he throws him at the four. So he's a three for me and I'm happy with what he does, but I just need him to cut out those mid-range looks. Absolutely. Um, I think you're probably looking at cleaning the glass, their metrics, their stats. I'm looking at basketball reference right now, the way they've got it broken down, percentage by distance, uh, looking at the mid-range, 16 feet to the three-point line, 27%, not good. Uh, 10 to 16 feet, 36%, you know, I mean, fine, still not ideal shots. 3 to 10 feet, just under 40%, not very good. However, so that's sort of your mid-range, your your the totality of your mid-range game. However, at the rim, zero to three feet from the rim, seventy-three percent. Um, that's very good. I mean, that's you know, that's that's big man esque. Yeah. Um, he's getting it done there, and then three point. Obviously, we talked about over forty percent. So there you go. I mean, to me, that's if if you're going to be weak at something, uh, shooting wise be a week in the mid range because we don't really need the mid range. I, I mean, yeah. at least from him. And do you think that he has the speed to keep up with this top five pace in the Kings? Sure. I don't think that he's got elite top end speed, but uh, with buddy and Fox, both flaunting that and uh, you know, guy, you know, you can have trailers Bagley obviously is, has the athleticism to trail them. You know, I am totally fine with Barnes being a, you know, not needing to be uh, the flash out there. He can, he can follow them into the corner. Like you said, his corner shooting, like as, as Buddy and Fox push the ball up the court, he can trail and hit a three, uh, you know, set up for a three. I'm fine with that. I don't need him to be the first one to the bucket every time. Yeah. I don't see him as unathletic. I don't see him as hyper athletic, but uh, again, passable for me. Yeah, agreed. I think that he's quick enough that he can keep up. And actually on the athleticism, I think that he's kind of underrated in that aspect. I I think that he definitely can get up and he has some, some spring to him. But like you're saying, it's not, it's not overwhelming. I mean, there's some elite athleticism guys in the NBA, of course, and he's not in that category. But like you said, I, I don't think that he struggles there either. Like I would not be surprised to see Barnes throwing down a few ferocious dunks occasionally. For sure. He's he's not Nemanja Bielitsa. He's not going to struggle yeah. uh, with athleticism. But but again, yeah, I mean, he's no Deer and Fox. So yeah. to me, that's, that's the least of my concerns right now. If you get a guy who can defend and a guy who can knock down shots, it, that's, I mean, you can, I'm not expecting Barnes to do everything, you know? Yeah, exactly. But he is a little bit of a jack of all trades in a way almost he just isn't a a, he doesn't excel overly in one area compared to anything else I mean we talked about he's a good defender he doesn't really get blocks or steals though but that is not indicative of being a good or bad defender he doesn't foul very often at all and he doesn't turn the ball over his free throw rate is 80 percent completely fine there 
I mean, I, I don't have any major complaints about Harrison Barnes. That's true. And I am a bit hypocritical here because I recently criticized Austin Rivers because of his lack of steals and blocks. Um, <clears throat> so it's not something that you can point to as a be all end all. It, it generally, you know, steals in particular can be an indicator for perimeter defenders. But then there are classic examples of guys. Allen Iverson kind of invented this of gambling and going for the steal. And if he, you know, sure, he'll get more steals than he would if he just plays sound defense. So it looks like he has better defensive numbers. But when he doesn't get the steal, he is giving up easy buckets. So I, I will refrain from using that as a touchstone going forward. However, I think when it comes to Rivers, um, you know, I admitted that I haven't seen enough tape of him and haven't watched him in enough games to say definitively if he's a good defender or not. Um, he doesn't carry that reputation, in my opinion, or from what you know, from what I've seen and read and heard. But Barnes, I have watched a lot of, uh, going back to the Warriors and obviously a ton this year with the Kings and watched a lot of the, you know a lot of his Dallas games. It's hard not to watch uh, Dallas right now; they're an exciting team. So. To me, he's a he's a plus defender. I I remember the first game that he played with the Kings. I was in attendance, and he shut down the Miami Heat in the fourth quarter. Uh, he had me standing and screaming uh, in in support of his defense, and he was just he was defending the point of attack. He was trapping. He was he was baffling the heat uh that game and, and i saw it several other times as well so yeah his his steals and blocks the what he's generating there is really poor uh but again i i, I gotta i gotta stop using that as a touchdown so I, i'll refrain from that going forward so touching on this austin rivers thing a little bit i promised you a defensive highlight reel and mm-hmm. the only thing i put together i just put this together in not too long today was i put together his defense from game three and it did, and even just, I watched back previous games too, I did tone it down a little bit because I realized what it is, is that he's a really good on-ball defender, that he moves his feet quickly, the laterally, he's he moves well, and he hustles, and he does have that dog mentality, and that just makes me fall for guys really hard, but I caught him getting lost on screens at times. And sometimes it's a little hard to tell, you know, what the game plan is on the defensive side. Maybe someone didn't rotate correctly, but the defensive IQ doesn't seem to fully be there. Um, He's not the smartest defender, but he's very capable of doing it. So I think in a one-on-one situation, I mean, Houston was throwing him on Curry to cover the end of the game, and he's doing a good job, but the second that some sort of adversity comes where there's screens hitting, he has to switch or something like that. He does get a little bit lost. But we're also talking about him, and I don't want to beat this too much. We've talked about Austin Rivers probably enough, but it's not like we're asking him to be one of your top players. I mean, we're looking for like an eighth guy. Yeah, we have definitely talked about Rivers enough. Uh, I can tell because of the Reddit comments on this podcast. Um, (laughs) And I'm sure looking forward to the forthcoming uh, teal versus pink debacle and uh, the comments about how this is now a Celtics podcast at the top. Hope hope people listen to more than 15 minutes or whatever that was. But yeah, I will say that I will uh, I'm excited to look at this at this at these clips and I will give him another chance here and I'm not going to judge without giving the proper uh, investigation. But um I worry about guys that are kind of marked as dogs because if the if it's an effort thing and and we're saying man this guy tries so hard my concern is well when what if he stops trying because if it's true that he said he didn't want to play for Phoenix you know I mean obviously yeah. he stopped trying I could see him being you know being discouraged in Washington um, apparently he didn't give that much effort in LA on the defensive side of the th- uh, the ball so. You know, I don't know. Uh, I I will I will refrain from further judgment, and I'm sorry to any of our listeners. We'll probably mention Austin Rivers again in the future, so sorry about that. Oh, I definitely will. 
But talking on Barnes, back to that a little bit. I mean, there's not all too much more to focus on him, but I do want to point out that, like I said, we had Barnes for 28 games, and we did only go 11-18 during that stretch. And this is when we were pushing for the playoffs, but I don't put this on Barnes at all. I think that we had a very tough schedule, and at the same time, we also just slowed down a little bit. Like We lost a little bit of, we had some injury issues and things like that. I don't put it on Barnes or maybe thought that we should have jumped in this win percentage. We had a really hard last stretch of 20, 30 games there. No doubt. I'm not putting any of this on Barnes. I think that he brought a vital element to a playoff push. Um, If we had pushed a little bit harder and made the playoffs, I think that he would have been extremely important to pretty much any matchup in a in a playoff setting um because i'm you know i struggle to see who else the kings would put on opposing small forwards um you know you can say we could have kept shump and he could have done it but i am very low on on iman shepherd so uh and i know i'm a little like i know that i'm lower than almost everybody on shump but i thought that he was god awful by the time he was traded and i was personally relieved to have Shumpert off my team and I and I know people are furious at, at hearing that I get it uh he was a big deal of you know a big part of the growth of the locker room and this team congealing into the scores and all that but uh he was garbage on the court uh, by the time we traded him I'm just putting that out there I understand where you're coming from with that so on Barnes and this is what we've been doing is that we've been giving people a value on their next year contract, not on what you would pay them moving forward, but the amount of money value that you feel they bring to the floor. And just to go through the previous guys that we've touched on, we had the center episode to start, Willie Cauley-Stein, we said $7.5 million. Costa Kufis, we said minimum. And then for Bagley, we put him at 15 And Giles at 10 Am I right in thinking, I mean, we said that this is probably the best player. Barnes is going to be higher than all those, right? Yes, absolutely. I did say that. I'll stand by that. Uh, I think that we're projecting a little bit here, at least toward the end of next year. So I, you know, I don't think it's crazy to think that Barnes, I mean, uh, you know, that Barnes could be surpassed by Bagley by the end of, the season, if you know, depending on how Bagley's growth, you know, how, how quickly that comes. To me, Barnes typifies a player who is pretty much league average, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, a league average starter at a position of need, which equates to me about seventeen point five million in value for the average team. So I'll, I'll put Barnes at seventeen and a half million. The King's Pulse podcast is now available on the app PodCoin. That is an app where you literally get paid to listen to podcasts. Our podcast is on there. There's plenty of other great content as well. How it works is for regular listening, you earn one PodCoin every 10 minutes. There's bonus podcasts as well that will include the King's Pulse podcast that you earn one and a half PodCoins for 10 minutes. And there's also streak listening where you can earn up to two or two and a half per 10 minutes and you can put those pod coins towards gift cards and other prizes as well that have a cash value. Be sure to download PodCoin and listen to our podcast and the rest of the podcasts that are on there as well. You know, we actually had the exact same number. I said 17 and a half and then I figured I might as well just round it up a little bit and sit it at 18. But I'm about the same there. That's that's exactly what I feel like Barnes is worth is to this team. Like you said, he's a starter, and he's given you a good less, a barely less, maybe hitting thirty minutes a night. So I would gladly, yeah, I think that eighteen, seventeen and a half is right about where Barnes is at. I like it. So let's convert this now into talk about his contract because Barnes technically is a free agent um depending on 
so he's got he has a an option. He can pick up a player option of about twenty five million, or he can decline it and not resign, or he can decline it and accept a new offer from the Kings, uh, which would essentially be an extension. Though it would be it would it would not technically be an extension. It would be a new contract. Um, what's your what's your hope here? Yeah, I, I just want to point out really quick, Jason Jones said on the last episode that he feels either way that Harrison Barnes is on this team next year. And for me, I like him and would like to have say that next five, that extra 5 million to spend in this off season. And I would rework him. I mean, I would be very happy if it came out that the Kings reworked him for four years, 80 million. Oh yeah. I'm with you as well. Um, I know I put that 17.5 value down and you agreed with it. Um, obviously 20 million a year is more than 17 and a half million, but listen, there's the Kings tax, the Sacramento tax. Um, and as much as we want to deny it or wish it weren't true, wish it away, the Kings still have to pay a premium for, for basketball players, uh, to bring them to Sacramento. So I'm happy with 20 million, uh, as a figure for him next season. If the Kings, leave the 5 million out of that. So they would have 5 million additional to work with there on top of their 37 million is what I'm seeing from Spotrack right now. I want to say previously I've seen 33 though. Is that, do you know what number it is next year for um, the amount of money that they're going to have? So it's going to be a little bit fluid. Um, the last number that I heard from a reliable source was yeah, like about thirty-eight uh, or thirty or thirty-nine million, and it, it depends on you know w- if you think that uh, they're going to be bringing back Yogi Ferrell, who has a non-guarantee. So there are some moving pieces, but um, I'm working under the assumption that it's about like thirty-eight and a half million. Okay, so. 38. So the max guys, which, you know, we've said that we're not a huge fan of the Kings going after a max guy, only under the thought process that that's likely Vucevic. I mean, there's other guys that obviously, if you're able to land, that you go for. But the way that these max contracts work, that if you have zero to six years of NBA experience, it is on the lowest level. Then the level after that is a seven to nine years of experience for players where most of these big free agents fall into now. That's why a lot of these guys are opting out of their player options because they will have seven years under their belt and are eligible for this next tier of a max contract. And then the final one is 10 plus years. So looking at that seven to nine year range for these max contracts, you only can do a four year contract if they're not re-signing with the same team. And it comes out to about 141 million total, but the first year is going to be a little under 33 million. So say that the Kings are able to save this 5 million by reworking Barnes, then all of a sudden, instead of only having 5 million to work with, you have 10 million to work with if you were to land a max guy. So you're saying the remaining, if if you were to sign a max, you'd have a, a, a what you'd have left over would be ten million, not five million after yeah, that deal. Just assuming that we reworked Barnes for five million less a year. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and those maxes, I believe those three sets are twenty five percent of the salary cap, thirty percent of the salary cap, and thirty five percent of the salary cap. Exactly. Yeah. So. Right. So if the salary cap were $100 million, it'd be a $25 million max for a player in his fifth year, uh, and then 10% raises each year. Yes. So I absolutely am interested in this. I think that the concern that some fans still have uh, and some media personalities still have is that Barnes isn't good enough to, to deserve $20 million a year. Uh, I think that you and I have expressed clearly enough that we disagree with that, but I would be, let me just say this. I would be so relieved if he just signed a four year deal because I think that I've been sweating personally. I've been sweating about the lack of small forwards on this Kings team for a little while. I've been sweating about the lack of 
starter level talent on this on this Kings team for a while. Obviously, that's changing with the emergence of Fox and Buddy and Bagley soon enough. But just to lock in, listen, we got this guy. He is legit. He's a starter level player. Uh, we can move on, and we don't have to worry about it for the next four years. I would be tremendously relieved. And to speak to what you mentioned about Jason Jones expressing confidence in him returning, I have never heard a single word from anybody anywhere suggesting that he would not return. And I'll point out that he was in India uh, representing the Kings just last week. Uh, And I don't think you send a player from your team on an international tour, you know, on, you know, on an international, uh, league building, you know, fan building mission who you just plan on not bringing back or plan he, or who he would plan on leaving. I don't think that you travel to India. If you're, if you want to be out, you're, you be, you're out, you know, definitely. And like you said, I mean, there's this whole small forward and he's just a glue guy. I mean, I guess I I feel bad for going back to Celtics a little bit here, but Celtics signed Al Horford to a max contract two years ago, and people are immediately like, this is an overpay. And I think Horford's a better player than Barnes. He was an all-star for a little while there, but you're overpaying a little bit because you have young guys on your team that are not going to be on their next contracts for a little bit of time. So you're able to give this money to a veteran that fills a hole that is going to play a substantial amount of minutes. And like you said, I'd be very happy to have Barnes around for that to fill that position. He doesn't have injury issues. He's he's just reliable. He, like we said, you, he can get everything done that you need from this small forward position. Right. And the reality is sometimes you have to overpay. You know, that's just that's the way that it goes. I don't care if this is an overpay. First of all, the Kings need to be overpaying to some degree in order to be real players in the free agent market. Um, And with re-signing players they traded for, like that's just, you know, I wish it weren't the case. I wish that players were coming to Sacramento being like, please, I'll take less than I would make in Boston. You know, Kyrie's coming to Vlade, please sign me. I'll take 10 million a year. Cool. Like that's a great scenario or even 25 million a year, whatever. But it's not the world we live in. And if you want to jump from outside of the playoffs into the playoffs, and if you want to attract more talent to your team, you got to ante up. Uh, you know, scared money don't make none. It it truly doesn't. So with Barnes, if if the Kings are so worried about paying a guy $2.5 million more than he deserves per year, um, you're going to be scaring off the future as well. So, yeah, I, it's time to ante up, and it's time to stop being worried about this. Like, we we went over this with Otto Porter, like, in the potential Otto Porter trades for so long. Everyone's like, oh, no, he's not a $25 million player. He's $20 million at most. It's like, yeah, but the Kings need a talent infusion so desperately that – and plus, what are they going to do with that extra $5 million? Are they really going to sign a player – that has an equal impact with that extra $5 million. Is that $5 million really going to do that much? It just isn't. You know, you talked about Otto Porter a little bit. That's another name we saw thrown in there attached to the Kings potentially. But we saw, I mean, Bobby Portis is probably a better asset than what Justin Jackson was. So they were asking for a little bit more. I heard that is why the Kings were not interested. Jabari Parker was just a throw in there to fill the the money a little bit. But then there was also Kelly Oubre, who I just do not prefer in the same way that I do Barnes. I think that, and you said this before, I believe that Kelly Oubre just looks really good on the Suns because it is the Phoenix Suns and that it's a little bit of empty stats there right now. I don't know. I mean, is there somebody that you would have rather had over Harrison Barnes? I would have preferred Otto Porter at the time, and I don't know. I think that there's a a decent argument to be made that I might still prefer him. I could see see why anyone might prefer Porter. Uh, However, I think that Barnes is every bit as capable. 
um, especially in being that sort of tertiary player. Uh, I think Porter is being featured a lot in obviously the season is over now, but in Chicago he was getting uh, huge volume uh, towards the end of that season. Um, you know, he can play the, that third fiddle. Obviously he, he did so for a while in Washington. So, you know, I think that at the time I would have preferred Porter and I thought that there was a legitimate chance that we could have gotten, uh, gotten Porter just by eating some money. I think that we could have taken on Jan Mahimi, but you know, in the end, I'm happy with what the Kings got. I'm glad we don't have to pay Jan Mahimi. And I, I don't know. There's something about me and it might be a bias of mine. So I will take a look at this, but when we get a guy and he does a good job, and even before he does a good job, once he's a king, I'm just kind of like, all right, this is our guy. Let's roll with it. Uh, maybe I should slow my roll a little bit and be a little more analytical about it. But I listen, I like this guy, Barnes. And, and the last time I said I liked a guy that was newly added to the king, something terrible happened in the news. So uh, I'll just knock on some wood. But I, I like who Barnes is as a person. God, I'm terrified of what's going to happen now. But I like who Barnes is as a person. And uh, I like who he is as a player. I like his body of work. And uh, I, I am truly optimistic for the Kings' future, and I, I pray that I remain so. Say, assuming that Walton is there moving forward, there's a history with Walton and Barnes, that Barnes has played in his system before, and that should make it a more seamless transition as well for the both of them. That could be true. That could be true. It'll be a different system to some degree, I, you know, this was the, the Warriors were not running Walton system, you know? So, I mean, I, obviously it would make things easier. I don't know that it will make it that much easier. And I also heard tr- truly just rumors and scuttlebutt, but I, I heard that Barnes isn't like the most held with Walton from their time together. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I substantiate those rumors, but I could see a world where, Barnes was a little bit hurt from from the way that the Warriors valued him, and and my there could be a little tiny bit of salt, but at the same time, listen, like we said, Barnes seems like such a humble guy, down to earth. God, I am really tempting fate now with all this. I just I don't I don't buy it. I really see Barnes as a guy. This a long time has passed since 2015 16, and I don't think he's like harboring some weird resentment about uh, the the Warriors not maxing him. Yeah, neither do I. I. I think that, you know, assuming Walton is there, that there'd be no... Barnes is extremely professional from what I can tell, and that that would not be any sort of issue. I mean, he's getting more opportunity. He's in a very good situation, which is nice to be able to say for the Kings. But, I mean, I'm very happy with having him moving forward. Is there anything else you feel like that we missed out that we need to cover on Barnes? No, I think we got it. Um, one thing I'll throw in there is that he's uh, he's very strong from the free throw line, and that's something that obviously the Kings really need help with. Uh, has you know of of everything that may have been the weakest function from a scoring perspective, at least. So, you know, it's good to have another starter in there who's gonna get a actually be consistent from the line, and I think you know. He can get get to the line and he can convert, and that's something the Kings need desperately. So the other small forward that I feel like you can comfortably, decently comfortably categorize him into that position that we had on this roster and is not uh, locked into being on this roster next year is Corey Brewer. And I know that you specifically have a pretty big soft spot for Brewer. Yeah, that's my guy. That's my guy. I love what Corey Brewer does uh, on the court. You know, he's not the world's most talented basketball player, but yeah, I mean, soft spot is absolutely right. I don't know what else to say other than he's a veteran and he does what he's supposed to do. He's a smart guy. And I think that the signing of Corey Brewer, it felt like a big deal to me because I don't think the Kings sign the best veteran role players off the free agent market late in the season. Um, I don't think that's a thing that they've done for a very long time. So picking up a guy that is useful and he could have gone to a team that was sure to be in the playoffs. uh, And it seems like there's some 
mutual decision there. You know, he chose the Kings. We chose him and he chose the Kings. You know, an interesting note that I'm just remembering here is that, you know, the road tripping podcast that Doug and De'Aaron Fox do together? Yes. They just released an episode today and take a guess at the two guests they had on, two Kings players. Was it Barnes and Brewer? It was. No way. Yeah. And I actually only got about 15 minutes into it and they had Brewer on and Barnes. They said there was a seat for Barnes, but he was showing up late. So I didn't hear any of Barnes yet. But yeah, it just happens that the two guys we're talking about released an episode with Fox and Doug Christie today. And Brewer was talking about the reason that he likes playing for the young guys is, you know, it it keeps him young. He likes keeping up with the guys. And uh, interestingly, you know, saying that being able to talk to these 20, 22 year olds helps him be able to relate to his kids more, which is it makes a little bit of sense. But then also Brewer likes being that veteran presence, clearly. So, yeah, I mean, they had a good time. They were still communicating and it sounded like they did record it during the season because Doug Christie referenced the the dunk that Brewer had where he didn't quite hold on to the rim and had a pretty scary fall. Um, yeah. So it was a little bit ago, but they sound like they all get along. You know, I really like the presence that Brewer seems to bring and on the court is able to contribute as well. You know, he gave us almost 15 minutes, shot 33% from his deep, from deep. I liked the defense I saw from him. I'm all for having Brewer back as that. I mean, we're searching for this backup small forward and I feel like he gives you what we need from that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is a guy who just last season, 2017-18, he played six games for the Thunder in the playoffs and, you know, 25 minutes a game in the playoffs, like valuable, valuable minutes, was a part of a very solid defense. Uh, you know, he, he obviously didn't like do too much offensively, but that's a sign of a good player. And it's a sign of a player that the, it felt like was out of the Kings range. Um, certainly here and in years previous. So, you know, I don't know. I, I said, I put it on Twitter, just a, a really weird tweet. That was just like, retweet this. If you want to play chess with Corey Brewer. <laughs> and that's just like how I feel. Like, I feel like this dude, I feel like just looking at a picture of him, I'm like gaining wisdom somehow. And, and, and so I want that dude in the locker room. I, I just feel like he's got wisdom to give. I don't know. He's got a lot of playoff experience. Uh, I got a lot, a lot of life experience. I feel like he makes the right decisions, does the right things on the court. And yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I'm not going to get too deep into analytics and all that. And he was only with the team a short time, but I just liked everything that I saw from this guy. And, and I absolutely uh, above Kufos. We had mentioned Kufos returning and being cool with that and as sort of like a veteran mentor type but if i could only choose one i'm definitely choosing brewery and i think that i'd i'd ante up above the vet minimum as well i'd be happy to give him five million depending on the options out there in the wing yeah i was gonna say about the same there real quick is is brewer beating you at that chess game oh my god i'm not even like <laughs> getting anything done i'm like uh, i get my night out there and he's like doing moves I didn't even know. How to, I don't really know how to play chess anyway, but I think that game lasts about three minutes and he's destroying me. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. You know, I'm going to stroke my ego a little bit, say that I can last a little bit longer than you there on that Corey Brewer chess game. We're going to have to hit him up and get this going. But you, you said $5 million. I'm I'm comfortable with that. Would you consider a seven and a half? That's That's what we have Collie Stein and the Elites at. I would. I would consider it. I think the wing market is, if you're talking, you know, realistically, the wing market is the probably the weakest part of the market. If you exclude like the superstars that the Kings that don't have access to, it's really hard to get a any sort of player with any sort of plus talent that can play the three, defend the three. And Brewer is definitely one of those guys. I I would absolutely if he's gonna either a play hardball. Or, you know, he's looking at other teams a little too closely and we feel like we can lock lock him up. I would offer it if it seems like the Kings aren't going to do much with that money. If there's 
just a few options out there and we got to spend it and, and make some moves and get our guys locked in. I'm absolutely comfortable giving him seven and a half. So say just to throw a hypothetical contract out here, if you say yes or no, a two year, 15 million, say second year is a player option. And that's kind of what you're, what you're enticing him with a little bit there. That is steep. Um, if you take away the player option and you give me a partial guarantee, I would do that. If you if you give him a two year fifteen, and then that second year is is two and a half million guaranteed, and and we could clear him for just two and a half million, uh, if we needed to for whatever reason, that I'd be comfortable with. And there's not really um, too many injury concerns. I will say this year. He only had 31 games, but I want to say a good amount of that is because he just wasn't on a roster for a while, right? Yeah, that's the way it seems. I mean, he's certainly the way after that that scary dunk where he fell on his sort of back and neck. Uh, he's a pretty resilient guy. He's tough as nails. He's nails out there for sure. So yeah. I don't know. I'd offer him a, a two-year, you know, I, I'd float that to his agent, two-year, uh, $10 million in total. And um, I think that's competitive. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd be very happy to have have Brewer back on this roster, especially for that amount. Veteran leadership and can at least give you those minutes from the backup wing. I think that that might about do it for this episode. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on, Rich? I'm good, man. The shoe is pink and white. Yeah, you know, if I look long enough, it is. And uh, the last thing I'm going to say about the Celtics is that I'm not watching Game 6. I'm over it. So is Kyrie. Anyways, that is going to do it for this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast. Thank you for giving it a listen, guys. And our episode in the middle of the week will be a hypothetical. I believe that we are going with comparing them to Game of Thrones characters. Is that what we were deciding on, Rich? We got some pop culture stuff. Uh, may compare the Kings players to Avengers uh, characters, superheroes. May compare them to some Game of Thrones. And then I think we're going to get... Um, into some sort of like would you rather uh, some more free agency talks some more trade hypotheticals and Jason Jones talked about the potential of trading for players that were already under contract to sort of shed salary for those teams so we can do some some broader considerations yep so we'll get into that a little bit more Wednesday but thank you everyone for giving this episode a listen and you will hear from us again soon